As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The race is on, and Roman Grosjean, remember him, has made a big impact in IndyCar this year, so much so that he signed for the powerhouse Andretti Autosport team for 2022. In this special crossover episode between the Race F1 podcast and the Race IndyCar podcast, we'll discuss Grosjean's prospects for next year, now that his deal has been announced, and how he's adapted so well to racing stateside. I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer all your Roman Grosjean questions is Jack Benyon. Well, I feel I'm a poor substitute for regular IndyCar podcast co-host J.R. Hildebrand and can only apologise to those who are listening in the IndyCar feed for that. J.R. would be here, but unfortunately he's travelling right now, so it just wasn't possible timing-wise. But I am very pleased to be joined by the other half of the race IndyCar podcast dynamic duo, Jack Benyon. How much have you enjoyed following Grosjean's progress this year? Yeah, well, just to start, you've picked the wrong uh, podcast co-host to have on, haven't you? Because I think most people tune in for JR's insight as opposed to mine on the IndyCar podcast. But yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. We have good fun on that podcast and a lot of cool insight into IndyCar. It's been great to watch Grosjean's progress through the season. And to be honest, JR's been the perfect kind of teammate for that, giving some insight from kind of what it's like to drive these in, these current spec IndyCars and give us some real proper insight into the driving element of what Roman's been, you know, actually doing this year with uh, with Dale Coyle and Racing. So yeah, it's been interesting to see his, his progress. He's definitely taken to things quickly, which I'm sure we're going to get into shortly. And, and now the big move to Andretti. Yeah, I can definitely endorse the Race IndyCar podcast for those listening in the the F1 feed. J.R. Hildebrand does offer excellent insight, and Jack occasionally comes in with some, uh, <laughs> with some good points as well, as you're about to find out as we delve into uh, to Grosjean. So let's get straight into the details of his move first. How much interest was there in Grosjean's services for next year, and just how big a deal is it for him to be picked up by Andretti Autosports to take the place of Ryan Hunter-Ray, who, after all, he's had disappointing form in recent years, but he, he is an IndyCar champion and won the Indy 500 back in 2012. Well, to start with the first part, I guess the the sort of decision always came down to, to Dale Coyne Racing to stay there or to move to Andretti Autosport. That became quite clear 
early in the kind of silly season exchanges. There was a, a couple of rumours about Aaron McLaren SP maybe being interested, but I'm not sure there was actually any serious interest from both parties there. I think this decision was always going to come down to these two teams. Andretti, obviously a, a lot to benefit by, you know, kind of shaking things up for, for next season. We'll get into their kind of, you know, their position in, in IndyCar at the moment and their sort of recent results a, a bit later in the podcast. But Ryan hunter A, obviously a former champion and uh, an Indy 500 winner. So someone that's been with the team for 10 years, they'll be very sad to see him go. I know a lot of the team members are, uh, are very upset to see him sort of leaving, but, you know, all things must come to an end at some point. And I think this is the right time now for, for Ryan hunter A to go and seek out a new challenge as much for him as it is for Andretti to get a, a new driver in and kind of, um, you know, mix things up there. But I think I think that's the the resounding sort of um, thing that I take away from this is this is a, a time of of change for Andretti and a, a time where shaking things up is is something that's necessary to claw back some ground to the big teams in IndyCar at the moment because traditionally IndyCar has been th- three big teams. You've got Chip Ganassi Racing, Team Penske, and Andretti Autosport. But what we've seen over the past two seasons since the introduction of the Aero Screen is Aaron McLaren SP with that huge amount of resource from McLaren on the F1 side and on the IndyCar side coming in and boosting their results. We've got Pato Award fighting for the championship this weekend with Alex Pelo's Chip Ganassi racing car. And then we've also got Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan proving that they they can sort of consistently push their way to the front as well and create this kind of a big five as opposed to a big three in in IndyCar at the moment. So Andretti, you know, really has to work hard to maintain its spot in this top five, um, which is something that sounds quite unusual to say maybe for for people who kind of watch IndyCar from afar and just expect Andretti to be, you know, one of the best teams. They've definitely fallen behind Chip Ganassi Racing and Team Penske in, in the last couple of seasons. So there's a lot to do there. And this off-season is a big part of that. Yeah, and obviously the fact that Grosjean in a few months has managed to make himself somebody with a team like Andretti Autosport want to sign because they're not going to be down for long, are they? They they will come back. That is a huge thing for a, for a driver who, I guess, moved into IndyCar with some uncertainty because sometimes we've seen F1 drivers move over and they they turn up and they disappear. Rubens Barrichello is one that, that springs to mind from uh, a decade or so ago. So just shows the impact because there's a lot of good drivers out there in, in the US and the fact Grosjean's got in with Michael Andretti's team, just testament to the impact he's made. Yeah, for sure. Dale Coyne Racing, obviously, is a small family-owned outfit with very little resource. So that was a big risk for for Roman to to go into that team, even though it's kind of like the family atmosphere that he kind of was was looking for and was hoping to to kind of rekindle from his junior Formula days that he was hoping was going to really help with his kind of you know this transition away from Formula One and, and to something new. He was really keen to have that family atmosphere and have some some sort of friendly faces and, and build up relationships with the people in the team, which isn't always possible in Formula One. It's, you know, in Formula One, it's always possible to know people's names and things, but there's so many people in a team that sometimes it can be quite difficult to get intimate with the team and and really kind of, you know, build that bond. So that was something Roman was definitely looking for this year and made the most of, but there's no secret that that team struggles for resources and, you know, is, is definitely not one of the top teams in IndyCar that's a big kind of risk that Grosjean took to come into a team like that and, and try and establish himself in IndyCar. It's it's one some other drivers have, have managed to make, but some, as you mentioned, have, have, have also failed. So it was a big risk, but Roman's performances uh, and the way he's approached this year, uh, you know, that is what has made this move work. And ultimately the performance has been there, um, you know, from pretty, pretty much from the start, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I can't really pick out anywhere that he's been really poor or anything like that. There's been obviously a, a steep learning curve coming into IndyCar, but you know, he's, he, he's done a fantastic job. And as you said, he's kind of earned this, he's earned this step up now to a big team where he can, he can prove whether he is ready to be a, a championship contender and fight at the front every week. 
Well, what should we expect from him for from next year? As you said, Andretti Autosport hasn't been on top form this year or even the, the year before by its lofty standards. Colton Hurt has had a couple of wins most recently at Laguna Seca. What should we expect from Grosjean next year in a team that is historically a contender? His in- engineer, Olivier Boisson, is coming over with him from Dale Coyne Racing to join Andretti. And those two will kind of keep that relationship going that they've built this year. I think that's been really pivotal to you know, Roman's adaptation into IndyCar is that relationship with Olivier Boisson. He's French. He's worked with former F1 drivers before, like Sebastian Bourdais uh, at KVSH. So, you know, I think that's that's a really key part of, of this. Is It's going to be really big for, um, you know, taking uh, Olivier Boisson with him. But I guess he is the person who is closest to judge Roman at this point as a driver and as a as a prospect because of all the things that Olivier has seen behind the scenes obviously engineering Roman and the the kind of progression that he's seen over the course of the season so it, he's the perfect person to ask whether Roman is ready to to fight for the championship as you asked and luckily I asked him that question earlier in the week and he he seems to think that Roman has everything that he needs now to to really go and do this obviously this season as we said, he's been racing for a team with with smaller resources and in, in a rookie season where, you know, this is one of the closest top single-seater championships in the world where, you know, it's very competitive, very difficult to fight your way into the top 15, never mind further forward than that. But Roman has proved week in, week out, um, you know, maybe not consistently yet, but has proven each weekend that he can learn something new, he can adapt, he can at the age of 35, still be willing and and thirsty to learn, you know, as much as anybody. And, you know, he's not coming into this as a prima donna Formula One driver who thinks he knows everything about IndyCar. He's come into this with a totally open mind. You know, he, he's approached everything in, in exactly the right way to, to learn, you know, the, the most he, he possibly can out of this journey. And he's added, you know, things like in and out laps are very difficult in IndyCar on, on tyres that are new to him and, and a big part of IndyCar because overtaking can be so difficult on track that even those you know, thousands of a second in and out of the pits can be vital. Restarts he'd not really done before. Um, you know, that was a, a big part of the transition. Um, the, the qualifying format is extremely difficult. You have two groups of, of six or more cars that then fight to go through to a top 12, which then that top 12, the top six of that goes through to to the final to fight for the, for the fast six on road courses. So that is a, a cutthroat sort of element of IndyCar that he's had to adapt to and immediately was successful in that. So, you know, it's, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that every weekend he's added something to his repertoire and he's become better each weekend, whether that's, you know, it's not always been consistent and we've not always seen, you know, the best performances week to week, but every weekend we've seen him add something to his CV. And I think that's going to be, um, you know, something that really rewards him next year when he comes to, um, you know, joining with the likes of Alexander Rossi and, and Colton Herty you mentioned, but also I think really important to mention and a point I keep trying to put across in this whole thing is that Maya Shank Racing is another team that is connected to Andretti through an engineering partnership. And that means that also Helio Casanovas and Simon Pagino, who are expecting to join Maya Shank Racing for next year, not yet announced, but something that we're expecting to happen, will also be in the engineering debriefs. So that's Rossi, Herta, Grosjean, Casanovas and Pagino, you know, five giants of the IndyCar Championship all together working towards turning around this, this Andretti ship and, and improving things for next year. And I think that's going to be you know, the, the sum total of that resource is, is going to be a massive thing for them next year. Yeah, I can see Grosjean learning an enormous amount from that. I, I'm really pleased to see that he's shown how good he is this season because I was always a, a great proponent of him in, in Formula One. Yes, he had his weaknesses and his mishaps, but underlying it all, a seriously fast racing driver. And uh, I I'm not, don't want to say I'm not surprised because I was a bit unsure how it would go for him, but I, I'm really pleased to see him going well. I know before you've talked about 
Grosjean's style, um, you know, in Formula One, you've written a lot about Grosjean over the years and, uh, you know, the, the, the Indy car really suits this style of the, the kind of aggressive turning. He's comfortable with a bit of uh, oversteer as well, which is an absolute necessary thing in IndyCar at the moment. You know, if you watch any sort of onboard, you can see just how leery the cars can be. Um, although that can be kind of brought back with a bit of setup changes, but fundamentally there is a bit of a bit of oversteer under kind of heavy acceleration in these cars. So I think, um, you know, Grosjean's style was perfect for this as well. And also, you know, we have to mention the break-in, which is something we've not quite touched on yet and something that JR is really, you know, kind of uh, hot on is that that is quite often the last thing that comes to a driver when they switch to a new car is the, you know, being able to master the break-in. And about halfway through the season at Road America, Grosjean made some passes at uh, Turn 5 there, which is really heavy on the brakes. And it, it just looked like he was, you know, almost 100 metres later on the brakes than everybody else. It was almost uh, sort of... It was almost video game style that, that what he was doing, and he's continued that through the, the second half of the season. And I think uh, Jr. mentioned this in our our podcast last week that he thinks even some of the best drivers in the series will be trying to figure out what Grosjean's doing on the brakes because he's become so good on the brakes that it's 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 an it's an area of gain I think for even some of the more experienced drivers in the championship. So his braking trace I think will be very valuable to the Andretti drivers who he uh, kind of joins up with next year. That might possibly surprise people who follow Grosjean on the F1 and remember him moaning about the brakes extensively, particularly in his Haas era. But I think it just shows the braking sensitivity he's got and that style he's trying to get. He always calls it the, the ART school of, of driving, which is that kind of quite aggressive turn on the brakes, the sort of V of the corner, if you like, the Ving of it if you can use Ving as a, as a verb, but that's what he defaults to. And it's great that it's working very well in, uh, in IndyCar. And it's clear, you, you see all the car control and everything is there. He's got all the ingredients. So it's, it's great to see him, see him making the most of that. But what is also quite interesting is from what I've seen, the IndyCar paddock and fans seem to have really taken to, to Roman Grosjean as a character. So how big an impact do you think he's made with that off-track persona or also his swashbuckling race performances? Oh, it's it's been massive for him. I remember the the pole position at Indianapolis in the third race of the season. It, you know, he got out of the car and stood on top of the car, and he was greeted with a an absolute hero's welcome. And I think at that point he realised how much impact he'd had since he'd come over to to IndyCar, and how much I guess IndyCar fans respected him for shining a light on their series. I guess, and he's just been totally welcomed just because of his his kind of open nature, his kind of. You know, I don't want to say he's made fun of his his uh, fiery Bahrain accident, but he's definitely taken it with a, a kind of humorous slant and wears a hat with the Phoenix on, which he's kind of his new self-proclaimed nickname, if you like, that, uh, you know, he wears this hat all the races and basically all the way through the year, the fans have been giving him fire department t-shirts from every kind of area that he's been to where he's been, where he's been racing, which has been fantastic to see, you know, obviously it was such a, a significant event in his life that, that you know, in so, in so many ways was a negative, but, you know, he kind of feels like he's been reborn from this accident and has come out of it with a, a kind of fresh attitude to life, a, a new take on life. And I think that's, you know, part of that is embracing this kind of humorous side of him, you know, kind of, um, you know, overcoming this, this massive part of um, this, this massive adversity and, and coming out the other side of it, which is massive. And, you know, that did set back his IndyCar career significantly when he decided not to go full-time for, for this season because of the incident. And, you know, he wanted to kind of, seek out what oval racing was going to be like at a later date, which we'll, we'll come to in a minute. But 
you know, I think what we've seen this year is uh, a reinvigorated Roman, which in turn has impressed his family and and brought his family on side. They've loved the the road trips they've done in in their RV called Raul um, uh, across the across the United States between races. They've really adapted to the American way of life when they've come over from Europe, and I think it's. Um, you know, if it's, if it's not common knowledge, then it's uh, the worst kept secret in IndyCar, but Roman's been, you know, looking for houses and, you know, is keen to, to bring the whole family over to, to, to America now so that he doesn't have to travel back and to between Europe and America next season. So I think the, the family's impact on this can't be underestimated. They've been a big part of this, but I don't think it would have, uh, I don't think it would have come down to them if Roman wasn't enjoying IndyCar as much as he has been. And it's very, very clear to see from anyone who, you know, just follows him on social media or, um, you know, has, has, has seen him talk about IndyCar that he's, he, he's absolutely loving this championship. He loves the competition. He loves the the drivers, you know, the, it's, it's quite an unusual sort of, um, championship in the sense of we had the three drivers who are fighting for the championship, Joseph Nogard and Pato Award and Alex Pillow in a press conference yesterday. And they were asked about why they're not playing more mind games with each other, or they're not more, more aggressive to each other in light of the kind of, um, needle in battle that's going on with Lewis Hamilton and, and Max Verstappen in, in Formula One at the minute and and, and Newgarden basically said it's a, you know, he feels like this is a, a very respectful championship and it's something that Roman has enjoyed. The fact that he can spend time with the drivers off the track and really get to know them and become friends with them um, as well as competing with them, you know, really um, aggressively on track. So it's that it's finding that balance of being competitive on, on the track and um, you know, going wheel to wheel and doing a lot more wheel banging than Formula One allows because these cars <laughs> definitely allow that. Um, and, and finding that balance against being friends off the track as well, which is an atmosphere that that Roman has really excelled in and really enjoyed. Yeah, we saw a great example of the wheel banging when he was lapping Jimmy Johnson at Laguna Seca at the, the Cork Street. It shows you can uh, you can get away with a bit of that. But it, it's it's great to see Grosjean. I think reinvigorator was the word you used. And he, he was always quite cheerful about his lot in F1 towards the end when he was really struggling with a a Haas that just wasn't competitive. But I, I imagine just being put into a position where for the first time since 2013, basically, he's able to fight for top positions has, has really just made him enjoy racing. Uh, and, you know, it's great to hear that he's he's adapting so well to uh, to life over there. We've talked a little bit about what he's done well this year. He's basically done everything but win a race this year. He's had that pole position you mentioned, a couple of second places, that Zanardi-esque drive to third at Laguna Seca. In terms of why he's taken to IndyCar so well, it seems like he's taken it very, very seriously. This isn't kind of a second prize to Formula One, is it? Sometimes it varies from driver to driver. Some take it very seriously. Some, I think, perhaps underestimate it. So he must have taken a very studious, shall we say, attitude to this, given he's also coming into IndyCar at a point where there's this big changing of the guard going on with some of the older veteran drivers kind of being edged out by some of the young chargers, but there's still also high-quality performers throughout the field. So for, for Grosjean to kind of insert himself into that uh, narrative at the same time as a kind of mid-30s F1 convert, I guess really testament to the, to the effort he's put in. Yeah, I've... Uh... I had I, not heard Roman say this out loud, but I'm sure part of the motivation for for this is, you know, for for how long he's kind of been misunderstood or criticised in Formula One, and the you know the number of years he spent in the middle of the pack or, or the back of the pack for for whatever reason, you know, some people will say, you know, he could have done better in his earlier career to kind of avoid that situation of being consigned to a team at the back of the grid and, and all that kind of stuff. But for me, I, I personally think this has been a big motivation that he wants to show that. He is this driver that is good enough to do this, and that if he was given the chance in 
in better Formula One machinery now, he'd be a, a better driver and, and, and do a better job. And I think that's a, a fundamental part of, of what we've seen this year. I, I also agree with what you were saying about him becoming or, or being a really uh, quick learner and, and, and taking a studious approach. I remember speaking to, again, his engineer, Olivier Poisson, in the pre-season test. And one of the things we discussed was something that you wouldn't even think about really um, normally, but the the kind of the way data is presented in IndyCar is, you know, obviously there's different software used and that compared to Formula One. So, you know, it's not like someone from Formula One can just come in and immediately understand all of the data perfectly, you know, straight away, because it's a totally different system of how that's presented. So even that is something that he had to immediately kind of adapt to, but it, it took him a few hours to really, you know, get into working out what was going on with the data and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I think studious is the right word. He's, he's really, you know, it, it might look like he's having fun on the outside and it might look like he's embracing this kind of new Roman Grosjean, the reinvigorated Roman Grosjean, but behind the scenes, there's no doubt there's a lot of hard work going on here. And, you know, I think, um, you know, I think Andretti and Honda have been really impressed with what they've seen from him in terms of his, his progression, because, you know, we mentioned it early on that the fact that he's learned something new every weekend, you don't do that by not being studious. You know, he's, he's not looking into getting better at stuff every weekend. You know, he's working really hard at specific areas that he, he knows he's, you know, fallen short on in, in, in places. You mentioned, um, you know, some of his good results this year, he's had three podiums, but the, the street courses have been quite difficult for him to, to extract the, the pace out of the car. And also, for, you know, it's been a, a team issue as well, giving Roman the car that he needs to to really find the lap time. But, you know, it's 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 an example of him identifying his flaws and weaknesses and working on them extremely hard over the course of the season. So, yeah, studious is, is definitely the right word, Ed. And I think we've, we'll have we see the same approach for him next year, especially when he's got fiercer competition because, you know, this year he's got, um, you know, Ed Jones, who's, who's raced in IndyCar before, but, the, you know, it's, it's, it's a much smaller team, Dale Coyne Racing, as you mentioned earlier, and he's going into a team with, two proven IndyCar winners. Many people believe Alexander Rossi is a, a future champion uh, and has that ability. Colton Herta, there's no doubt he's got the potential to be a future, future champion. So Roman's going into this team, not necessarily as the top dog, even though he's, he's the biggest name going into this team. So he's still going to have to work extremely hard to, to get the most out of this deal. But uh, from what I've seen this year, I, I think he's going to be right there. It's interesting the point you make about Grosjean perhaps proving people wrong a little bit. I, th- I think you're right. There's a, an element of that motivation because it's been a long time since he's he's won a race. And anything you would go all the way back to GP2, a category in which he was he was outstanding. And Grosjean's F1 career, it, it was frustrating. I found it frustrating. So he must have found it <laughs> multiples uh, more frustrating th- than I did because he's such a good driver. I'd rate him a, as one of the best few drivers never to have won a Grand Prix of those who who did have a F1 careers. I think he's that good. And we saw some of those performances in the Lotus days when he was in a front-running car when he was genuinely outstanding. But and, and I think a driver in that position, you can kind of go two ways. You can get a bit bitter about it and a bit chippy, or you can channel it, which I think is what Grosjean uh, has done. And yeah, he certainly had some mishaps in Formula 1. He does have a mistake in him, sometimes in slightly odd circumstances. And obviously, he hasn't been completely flawless in, in IndyCar this year. But a driver with a huge amount of talent, I, just in terms of that underlying ability and that that base speed. He's in F one. He was as quick as anyone, and so that's going to apply to, uh, to to IndyCar as well. You mentioned in passing ovals, and an important decision Grosjean has made is that he is willing to race on the ovals, which originally he discounted. I think he did do Gateway uh, this year, which is the the short one and a quarter mile oval. But he'll take on the big one at Indianapolis, one of five ovals on on the calendar. So why has he changed his position on overs? I guess the first thing was he wasn't going to get into an Andretti car without committing fully to the the championship. Well, uh, he never he never ruled out ovals. He, he always just said that 
you know, he wanted to, uh, he wanted to test and he wanted to see what it was going to be like and whether it was going to be something that was for him. And I think you were right to mention Gateway. That was his debut, but shortly before that, he had a test at, at the same venue and, and that's where he kind of cut his teeth and, and learned a little bit more about it. And I think it's fair to say, you know, he wasn't totally taken by it, but he enjoyed it. And the, the, the bigger element of that test was having his family there. That was the first time some of his kids had seen him in a car in, in person at the track, which was a big thing for him making this decision to think about whether to do ovals next year. That was that that played a big part. So to have them there and see see their dad kind of on track and, and what that was going to entail was was a, a massive part of that. But the, the test went really well. And then the race, that was fantastic at Gateway. I thought, you know, he, he ended up a lap down because of some some mistakes from the team on, on strategy, really. Um, but to be honest, he was making passes further back in the field. So some, you know, people will always say that, you know, it's always easier to make passes further back in the field, but he was working his way into the top 10, extremely competitive, some really inventive overtaking for an oval. Um, you know, there was quite a lot of uh, discussion at the time about how he was doing it with the aerodynamics of the car and, and clearing his front wing to get some, some clean air onto the car to, to grip up the front of the car into the sort of mid corner and, and exit. So it, some, some really kind of, um, I guess the Americans will probably say an unusual take on a, a short oval driving wise, but it worked out, worked out for him and he made some, some really significant overtakes and, and looked very at home on an oval. So I think, uh, I think you're, you're right. I think it would have been, I don't think it would have totally uh, stopped this deal, but I think Roman would, um, you know, he wants to win the championship next year and he knows he needs to do the Indy 500 to win the championship because it's double points and you can't avoid it. So um, I, I think, the deal might have happened in a in a partial schedule. We'll we'll obviously never know that. But I think you're right to point out that the the oval part of it makes it much easier. It makes it much easier from a from a winning the championship point of view, but it also makes it much easier from a sponsorship point of view because we all know that the Indy 500 is uh, arguably the bigger event than the championship itself, and the, the it's the event that the sponsors care about. It's the one that the you know people are watching on television, and the one that the the sponsors want to get involved in. So it will have made this deal much easier from a you know, from a commercial aspect as well to, to make this happen and to, to satisfy the demands of, of both Grosjean and, and Andretti in that deal. So, yeah, I think um, there was quite a few elements that made the ovals quite important to the, to the deal. It was his family. It was the, the commercial aspect. It was the, the winning the championship aspect. So, um, yeah, key, key part of this deal coming together was the, the oval situation. And for me, I've not seen anything that tells me that he won't be able to finish in the top 10 on the ovals next year. And, and, and potentially compete for for a top five. I think the Indy 500 is so, as we mentioned, is double points and it's so pivotal to the championship. We've seen Joseph Newgarden's chances of winning the title be, you know, massively um, eroded over the last two seasons because of double points at the Indy 500 because he's he struggled to finish well there. So that'll be a big, um, you know, big cause for um, uh, investment from Grosjean and the team to to get that right and to, to make sure they're ready. Andretti, historically, a very good team at, at the Indy 500. So, you know, things are think they'll be positive that they can get Roman bedded in quickly, and he should have a test in October where he'll get some time on the track before things start to kick off in sort of early next season before the actual Indy 500 starts. So, great thing about the Indy 500 is so much practice that there's there's plenty of time to get the car dialed in and to get used to the track, and that's why we've seen drivers come in and, and be particularly successful as rookies in the past as well. And one comparison that that has to be made, obviously people might look at the results on paper for Grosjean this year and think, well, they're they're decent, but they're not stunning. But obviously a Dale Coyne racing driver having their rookie year and they're moving into one of the big teams, that's been quite a successful trajectory for a certain Alex Palau, hasn't it? Who's 
almost certain to win the championship. It's not quite done, but he's. It would take a a bit of a disastrous weekend uh, this weekend for that to, for that to go wrong. So, is it possible Grosjean could do something like that? Bearing in mind the the possible limitations of the Andretti kit. Well, Alex Pelot only needs to finish 11th in the championship this weekend to seal the championship, and that's in his second season of IndyCar. His first season, as you mentioned, there's there's quite a few similarities between the two. His Pelot's first season came in. Dale Coyne racing in this car that Roman is driving now, albeit with a different number on the front. So there's there's comparisons we can draw. And I don't think you can disagree that Grosjean's rookie year has been much more successful than, than Alex Pelot's. But, you know, he's already ahead of where Alex Pelot finished in the championship last year and has already scored 30 uh, odd more points than, than he did last season, despite the fact that he's not done the double points in 500 and missed two Texas races. So just from that alone, you can see, you know, how important that's been. And, and obviously you have to, factor in in scenarios like this that the the team can make improvements year to year and that the you know there can be things that you find in the car and uh, that can push you forward and also I think it's fair to say Alex had some some pretty bad luck in in, in places last year I know bad luck's a bit of a you know a cursed phrase in motorsport but I, I do feel like there were things out of his control that really you know hurt his points total last year but at the same time Roman's not had a clear run of it and not been totally you know outside of um, you know having bad luck as well so I think we can, you know, looking at this, I think Alex Pelot has gone into a, a Chip Ganassi team that's much more sorted than than the Andretti Autosport outfit at the moment. Ganassi's had, um, you know, three of its four drivers in the top five in the championship pretty much for, you know, the majority of the season with Alex Pelot, Scott Dixon and Marcus Ericsson, another ex-F1 convert, uh, you know, doing a, a really good job there. And they, they, their team has just been phenomenal this year, so consistent and, and able to win races and just, you know, really, really consistent, which is what you need to, to win in IndyCar. Andretti, obviously, as we talked about, very peaky. Colton Hurt has been able to to win from pole and, uh, you know, has, has, has really struggled in, in other races. So we've seen that struggle with James Hinchcliffe, Ryan Hunter-Ray and uh, Alexander Rossi across the course of the season as well. And their championship positions tell you everything you need to know about, you know, where we're at. You can have some bad luck, but you can't have bad luck all season. That just, I don't think that is um, something that you can really, uh, you know, get away with. So, yeah, interesting comparison between Grosjean moving from Delco into Andretti and, and Polo moving to Ganassi. I think Polo's moving to a Polo moved to a better team um, in the sense of where it was at and and how it was poised to succeed. But you know, I think Ganassi definitely took a step forward for for twenty twenty one, and there's no reason to suggest that Andretti can't take a step forward for for twenty twenty two with all these resources at their disposal for next season. And with Polo doing what he's done compared to Scott Dixon's teammate, Grosjean did a little bit of that at Laguna Seca with that great pass at, uh, at the Corkscrew, which I think you've suggested should be illegal to pass Dixon there. I think, you know, six-time champion Scott Dixon, you know, he, he just, uh, uh, you know, I realise this is a, a difficult kind of thing. I, I don't remember Dixon being passed by people this season uh, at any point on on with like a... Uh, an opportunistic, aggressive overtaking move, you know, that some, some, somewhere Dixon hasn't lost space, places in the pits or hasn't given up a position because he thinks it's wiser not to battle. Um, you know, I, I, that was a totally opportunistic, opportunistic move from miles back from Roman Grosjean. And I just thought, um, you know, it's very, it's very rare that you see Scott Dixon get overtaken and it's, it's unheard of that you see him get overtaken at the corkscrew of all places. So yeah, that was a, that was a summary, I think. There was also the move on, on the outside of Pato Award at Turn 4, which was in part down to fresh tyres, but it was still you know, crazy that he uh, attempted that to go around the outside of that corner, which is very unusual. 
um, and, and made that work brilliantly. So yeah, a good sign that, you know, I think if you, if you've got any reason to kind of follow this story and, and what grows on at Andretti next year, it's that, you know, the most fun part of motorsport, the, the overtaking is what Grosjean's got nailed down and it is arguably the thing that he's, you know, absolutely best at. So we're definitely going to see some entertaining races for him next year, wherever wherever he ends up finishing in the championship. Yeah, he's absolutely going to be exciting to watch and, uh, yeah, I'll be keeping a close eye on him. And I think a lot of people in F1 will be because there's quite a few drivers, I think, who've, who, who've had their eyes open to IndyCar, not just by Roman Grosjean's success, but Marcus Ericsson's success. He's had a, a couple of wins this year, including that one after being launched into the air in Nashville, which is an unorthodox way to go about it. But uh, I, I think future converts from F1 will have to be careful not to underestimate the scale of the uh, uh, of the challenge over there uh, in IndyCar. Well, thanks very much, Jack Benyon, for your insight. You can, of course, catch all our IndyCar and F1 coverage on therace.com. And don't forget the hyphen. Usually, I urge everyone to try out our sister podcast titles, but effectively, this has hopefully given those listening in our F1 podcast feed a taste of the Race IndyCar podcast. As I mentioned, Joe Hildebrand is the regular co-host on that and offers some fascinating insight. He's well worth listening to, so I'd urge you to subscribe to that. Also, make sure you check out our YouTube channel. We'll turn our attention back to F1 now on this podcast, and we'll be back soon with everything you need to know from the Russian Grand Prix. (laughs) 